a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. I am Brian. I am joined today via the magic of Skype by my Star Wars book club compatriot, former multiversity editor, Matt Garcia. Hello, Matt. Hello. How are you tonight? I am doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. We're talking about one of my like favorite movies of all time. So <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a good night for that. I have a, uh, I have a Twizzler next to me waiting to be eaten at some point, so I can't really complain about anything right now. Um. Anyway, so tonight we're talking about uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. It's funny. This film is probably the only of the Star Wars films that you could call by three names: Star Wars right. Episode Four or A New Hope. When you saw it first, what did you? What was it called when you saw it? Uh the first time I saw it was when they released the special editions in theaters. So like. 1997 i think yeah so that would have been a new hope i think so it was like star wars episode four new hope special yeah. edition so like, what, the first vhs copy i had just said star wars on it mm-hmm. it did not say a new hope on it um but in in sort of i feel like the parlance of star wars if you just say what do you think about star wars that doesn't mean this film you know, so Correct. so a new hope becomes the sort of easy, um, like you know, the easy shorthand to talk about this film because it's the only way you're gonna really get the point across of what you're trying to talk about. I guess you could say episode four if you're one of those people, but I don't know if you've noticed this that Disney is really de-emphasizing the the numbers of the films. I have noticed that because uh, they just call it like Star Wars: Force Awakens or Star Wars: Last Jedi. Yes. Instead. And I'm, and the promotional junk, too, for the original trilogy just goes, New Hope, Empire, Return. Yeah, because even on like the Disney Plus announcement of all the films that are coming to the service, they did not put any Roman numerals in any of those. So, um, I don't know if that's... Like, I, I had heard once, and this is a totally weird anecdote to bring up, but I had heard that at a certain point, Vince McMahon no longer allowed WrestleMania to have a number after it because hmm. he was afraid people would think of it as old. Like, if you heard WrestleMania 30, you would think that's old, um, which is which is interesting. So I wonder if, if Disney just feels like it it's an impediment to people watching the films. If you see episode six there and you've never seen one of them before, you're not going to give that a try. Whereas if you just see Star Wars Return of the Jedi, you might be more likely to give that a shot. Yep. Which is strange for me for two reasons. First, the first being um, TV. TV has basically become almost our big predominant medium of uh, viewing stuff right now. Sure, yeah. And you know, for better or worse or whatever, but we always call them like by their seasons. And you're like, oh yeah, Stranger Things season one, season two, season three, Breaking Bad season three, whatever. So the numbers are definitely there, and that parlance is definitely part of our popular culture or whatever. But for some reason, like in the movies, I don't know if like maybe Disney's just trying to not make us think that this is a TV show in the same way that they want like the Marvel movies to be TV right. or, or what. But then um, 
the other thing is just I think you and I both grew up in a time where all of the movies were numbered, right? Yes, I I I can't tell you for sure. I mean, wasn't didn't Empire start with Episode Five, The Empire Strikes Back, in the crawl? Yeah, I, I know that A New Hope originally did not have that in the crawl, right? Um, but you know, I was born in '82, so you know, technically, Jedi came out after I was born, but I was one year old when I came out. So, right, and then I'm sure your first VHS were like one of the original printings of it and everything. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, but so yeah, it's uh, they've always been numbered to me. But again, like I, I just wonder if also like <laughs> I was talking to somebody about this recently. How like when you were a kid, if you happened to see Empire first, which we're going to talk about in a minute, like mm-hmm. if you wanted to know what happened in Star Wars, you would have to find somebody who had seen it before and ask them because there wasn't the internet accessibility there is now. And so right. maybe it doesn't matter as much. If you watch Return of the Jedi first, you're going to Google Star Wars Return of the Jedi, and you're going to either get the information of what happened in the other films, or you're going to find out there are other films, and just, you know, and then go digging from there. You remember that scene in, like, Close Encounters of the Third Kind when he's reading the newspaper, and he's like, oh, holy crap, Pinocchio is playing. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what? I, I remember when I first time I saw that movie, I was like, what? But I have Pinocchio like literally right over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it took me way too long to realize, like, oh my God, you know, you just had to rely on the secondhand theater thing. And now today I'm like, oh, I heard this one movie. I'm going to just go rent it on Amazon if it's not streaming somewhere and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah that's, that's very odd. And then I don't know. I don't know what Disney's still doing with the number of things or why they're downplaying it because you would think that in a fan base that's so <laughs> obsessed with continuity not not even just the fan base but in the current way that people are watching things of having the start at the beginning and then just binging all the way through that that order would be there yeah i i wonder i have lots of thoughts on this part of me just wonders if this is if this is an attempt to, so so uh, this is this is not a, a new hope discussion at all. But like <laughs> you know, Solo did not live up to what they felt were was like the commercial standard of Star Wars. And I have I thoughts think, on that, but yeah. so do I. Uh, but I also think that you know, when you look at the Marvel films, even the lesser Marvel films do very well at the box office and also even the lesser marvel films as much as it helps to have seen the other films they're also sort of set apart in their own like each movie you can take in without having seen the ones before it to a certain degree and i mm-hmm. wonder if they want to give people that same impression of star wars that you know it's just oh this is totally accessible no matter where you drop in uh because of that marvel method right now I see what you're saying with that, and I'm and I'm thinking that this is part of the thing that Disney has with buying properties instead of creating their own, <laughs> is that Star Wars was always kind of a special event, you know? Yes. From, ni- from 1977, when it first hit on and blew everybody's minds or whatever, to like three years later, then they get that cliffhanger, <laughs> and then you have three years later, and you have jedi for whatever it is and then you get what like 20 years between with like the ewok movies and then the stupid Uh, expanded universe so there was um the next film it went from 83 to 99 so 16 years without a film um 
but before that there was uh there were the special editions, there were the Ewok films, there right, was the right. droids cartoon. But you um, remember like the special editions were huge. I mean they like, sold out. Like and that's right. actually that's what we should talk about now. So was the first time you saw A New Hope in the theater for special editions? It was. So um I was ten when those came out in like ninety seven. Yeah. And my dad took me and we were gonna go see Star Wars. But Star Wars was sold out. So he's like, well, we're already here. Let's go see Empire Strikes Back. And I'm like, oh, okay. I had no idea what I was getting into. You know, like, see, that's right there. That's crazy to me because they weren't all released on the same day. They were staggered like a couple months, I think. Yeah. So the fact that that by the time Empire was already out, Star Wars was still selling out. Right. So, like, it kind of goes back to our earlier point that these were always special events. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's star wars it's time to sit down and you're gonna be like heck yeah um and i think (laughs) to sidetrack back to our original thing real fast solo (laughs) was an attempt to see if star wars would function as kind of a marvel cinematic structure and it just and it doesn't i mean there's other things with that movie (laughs) yes i also think if they held it till december it would have been a very different story 100 percent I think if they they would have been able to bury their PR problem with that a little uh-huh. bit better. Yep. They wouldn't have to compete against themselves yep. with what Infinity War and I think Last Jedi was just out of theaters. No. Pretty much, I yeah. feel like Solo's flop was one hundred percent Disney's marketing team's fault. Yes. one hundred percent agreed. Yes. The movie slaps, you know, that movie's a lot of fun. <laughs> um But anyway, so I had first seen so the first I said to you before we started recording that I can't mm-hmm. imagine seeing Empire first, but mm-hmm. as a four year old I saw Jedi first, but I was four. So <laughs> after that, at some point, I I don't remember watching these films for the first time. All I remember about Jedi is I remember before well, I guess when I was in kindergarten, we moved to the house that my mom just sold this summer. But before then, we lived in a smaller house, kind of in the same neighborhood, and. I remember being in like the attic family room of that house and just hiding behind my dad when the emperor was shooting force lightning. And that's like, that's my first mm-hmm. star Wars memory. So I don't remember actually watching a new hope like for the first time, but I had seen it many, many times before seeing it in the theater for the special edition. Um, so what did, what was your initial thought of, of a new hope the first time you saw it? Uh, so like we talked about, I saw Empire first, so the, the whole thing at the end was like, what? Um, I kind of was able to piece together as a 10-year-old who the characters were, which is something that I guess we kind of forget as adults who think about these things a lot yep. and who think about story and character a lot, that we um, we just kind of forget, like, oh, this can still speak to someone who is at this level. Right. And they can understand who's who, what's going on, and then they can go in. Because I freaking love that movie. After that, like, I convinced my dad to take me to the toy store, and we got a bunch of crap. And then <laughs> a week later, we saw Star Wars. And uh, what was my... I think it was still, like, the same kind of starry-eyed thing that I saw. Um, I think Empire, for the longest time, was my favorite Star Wars movie. And it wasn't until I got much older... And I started thinking more about what works as a movie for me and what speaks as a, to me in a movie that 
I felt like uh, episode four is, you know, the best best of the best. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, those two movies just they just sing. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And so as a ten year old, they just in their own way take your imagination and just blow it up. Yes, absolutely. Um, so one of my when I think about a new hope, one of my thoughts is that uh, I have a friend who has since died, unfortunately, but his favorite was always. A New Hope, and and his rationale was twofold. He said that, first of all, it was the most hopeful of the films, and that you really, at the end of the film, felt like anything could happen, and there were no parameters put on you for, like, your... uh, Even at the end of Return of the Jedi, you're kind of left with... I don't want to say a structure for how the universe is going to look, but it's just it's a less less of a blue sky ending, right? At the end of a right. new hope, this ragtag group of rebels who shouldn't have been able to do anything blew up the fucking Death Star, and that's just it's such a hopeful way to end that film. Um, but right. his other point was that it's the only Star Wars film that really works as its own film. Yes, and I, from like a structural standpoint, I very much appreciate that but I don't know if that's enough to sway me to say it's my favorite. You know, I think that the, I think that almost everything good in A New Hope is done better in Empire, okay. except the self-contained nature of it. Okay. Um, Yell at yeah, me, no, disagree I'd with have, me. No, I'd have to agree. I agree with your friend about a lot of what he's saying, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the original Star Wars because it doesn't have any idea of what Star Wars is. <laughs> and so part of like its charm and its fun and its adventure is that you're figuring it out kind of as the movie's figuring it out. You know, it's hints at these deep, rich histories, but there's really no big exploration of it. It's just like, oh yeah, this is a world that feels real and it makes sense enough that we can get from, you know, Tatooine to Yavin 4, right? Yes, yeah. Um, I think it wasn't beholden to like this giant mythology. It didn't have to like force itself into some weird continuity. It was able just to move and breathe and function as something that's just, you know, a pure movie kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And like, again, this is one of those things that I notice as I get older that, um, empire, which is also very, very great. Uh, so I'm not dogging on Empire, but Empire also kind of gets hit with a lot of the mythology issues, you know? Sure. It has to start figuring out, oh, like, why did the Jedi go? Or who is Yoda in relation to this? And Obi-Wan's relationship? And, oh, what the hell happened with Anakin Skywalker that he became Darth Vader kind of thing, right? Um, and so I've always I've felt like now sometimes that just pulls that movie kind of away from that pure expression that I feel in Star Wars, which was kind of made to be that big, loud, pure expression of something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's really interesting the way you put it in that it's the only Star Wars film that doesn't have to reckon with being Star Wars. Yeah. And, And I think in some ways the film does stuff that if Luke and Lucas always says this was always intended as a nine part thing, that's horse shit. And we all oh, know completely. that's horse shit. Um, 
And if you watch that movie, you absolutely are aware of it's gonna be horse shit. But like, right? It, it's also it. It's the first time that he doesn't. Ha- it's the only time that he doesn't have to give any sort of overtures to the mm-hmm. future or to the past and so it's it's very much an in the moment movie. I mean when when you think about how little you know about Luke at the start of that movie. Right. There there's really I mean, you know, the biggest hint you have is that Owen and Baru basically say he's too much like his father. And so you mm-hmm. recognize all right, well there's something here about his father. By the time you find out who his father was, he's never going to see Owen and Baru ever again. <laughs> and like his, his his path is already set at that point. You know, all right. you need to know about Luke in Star Wars, essentially, is um, he's an orphan, he's stranded, and he wants to get off, and then he can. Yes, exactly. Like, I was going to say, like, the, pretty much all you need from him in the first 20 minutes of the movie is him looking at the, the binary sunset. Like, right. that's that look of longing and and dissatisfaction. That's pretty much all you need from Luke to start that film. Right, which is one of those, again, like, we remember that scene so well because it is such just, it's ingrained in our culture. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but you forget just how much it carries unless you're sitting there and watching the film itself. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, like, yeah. Yeah, you're just like, oh, okay, this is literally everything that we need to know about this character. Like you said, you get the swelling music, which, you know, you wish movies would pause to let that swelling music hit up again yes and it's just it's one of those again hitting back to like that pure expression it doesn't need to be a star wars movie it just really needs to be kind of a coming of age adventure right yeah um so i i guess the the logical place for me to to take this next would be what is it about not not the structural stuff we've talked about, but in terms of uh-huh. storytelling, what what are your favorite, what are the parts of A New Hope that really speak to you? Like in story, what's the stuff that you love? In story. I love that it's, I think we've talked about this before, that it's such a patient movie, you know? Like for the first hour, he's on tattooing and they're just kind of talking. And then for the second hour, it's just go, 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 go. Like the whole movie takes place over two days. <laughs> right, yeah. I love that it has a sense of when it wants to give you the information you need to go. It has a great sense of how long we need to be with every character and everything. It knows, it knows when to step back. I'm talking mostly as craft as a craft person at the moment. Mm -hmm. It knows when it needs to step back and uh, just let the camera kind of sit on a tripod and film what's going on. And it knows when it needs like the giant epic binary sunset shot. Um, for like scenes that stick out with me, I think the <laughs> the one that made me fall in love with it was the Obi Wan and Luke in his uh, little tent thing in his mm-hmm. Adobe hut. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, what is it about that scene that that you love so much? Wow, I'd have to. <laughs> I think I, I have a very specific answer. That's why I asked you. Yeah, I think it's um, it again it brings in so much of that world a so you get like the clone war you get some so much about luke but you also get uh this younger person and this uh 
who's finally connecting with somebody who's seen something that he really desires and wants. Mm-hmm. And then this older guy who's just, I guess, ready to teach. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm not sure if I'm phrasing this in the way that I, I really need to phrase it, but I think it just carries so much weight and feeling there of basically everything you're feeling when you're seeing it at like 10 years old <laughs> uh, for Luke. And then as you get to be like, cause I'm 33, like as you get closer to that seeing like, Oh, okay. Child sit down. <laughs> yeah. That was a detour answer for the Obi-Wan thing, but I'm relating more <laughs> to him as I get older too. <laughs> no, I, no, I mean, Obi-Wan is my favorite Star Wars character, first of all. Um, oh, uh, you are quiet. You are back. Yeah, sorry about that. My microphone just, my phone just went boosh. Oh, that's okay. Um, so Obi-Wan is my favorite Star Wars character. So Hands that, down, yes. Uh, he's the only thing that makes the prequels watchable. He is... um, I'm a much more... I am much more into the prequels than you are, obviously, but I will also say that Obi-Wan is the best part of those. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and I, I'm probably being slightly hyperbolic when I say that. I I have my appreciation of the prequels has grown considerably over the past five or so years. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. I, I had rewatched the prequels for the first time, literally for the first time since seeing them in the theater ahead of uh, The Force Awakens. And so I was able to have a, a better sense of them as a as a man in his thirties versus as a teen, like a late teen young adult person who had been waiting his entire life for new Star Wars movies, and then felt mm-hmm. felt very let down by them. But that's a whole other topic for three podcasts that are already out there. Go to your archives and find them. Um, Subscribe but, and yes, <laughs> rate, rate us on iTunes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, click that bell icon so you get notifications of new episodes. Um, but so the um, I, to me that what makes that scene so special is two things. First of all, I love nothing more than a character having his um, having his world blow up or her world blow up in front of them. And mm-hmm. I feel like Luke had heard about the Jedi before, but always sort of thought it was bullshit. And so to have, I, I love the scene from both perspectives. I love Obi-Wan being able to be like, no, this is real. Check this out. I love that part. Right. And I also love Luke's like childlike wonder and enthusiasm when he's playing with the lightsaber for the first time because he's, he's right. starting to put together the stuff he heard might be true. It's just, it, it's a really, it's a wonderful moment, like you said, of like, there, there are two very different characters playing off each other and both are just delightful to watch in that scene. Exactly. And it's somehow Alec Guinness getting caught up in the enthusiasm for Mark Hamill. Cause yes. you know, Guinness the whole time was just kind of like, well, children's stuff, <laughs> whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, but you can see him kind of start feeling that energy too. Yes. Yes. It's also a scene that, really only works in the context of a new hope because once you mm-hmm. start digging into things like he was a good friend <laughs> you know <laughs> there, there are a lot of things that that sort of the, the mythology of star wars poke a ton of holes in 
you know? Right. And so it's a scene that works really well in the context of this film. But if you remove that scene from this movie and, and put it as a flashback in any of the other films, it would read totally false. Um, yes. So, yes. You know, I guess that kind of brings me to another question that we were talking about earlier is sure. like, We've talked about that Star Wars Episode Four, A New Hope, or whatever, uh-huh. works because it's really the only one that's a standalone movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, the franchise came out of this. You know, we've got forty some years of Star Wars movies from this one little movie. And I guess, what do you see the franchise has really kicked aside and abandoned from this thing? And what do you think it's like really doubled down and embraced on? So that that's interesting. Uh, what I think it really has doubled down and embraced on is something that I really enjoy from my Star Wars, but I know there are lots of people who disagree with me about this. It it really doubled down on the idea of mythology being important. Right. Um, like I said, I, that's sort of – that's my favorite stuff in a lot of media. I love digging into the – the hows and whys of a fictional universe. And so to me, them deciding to go all in on Jedi mythology and all that, that's, that is a okay with me. But I also recognize that you might be able to show somebody who doesn't like science fiction or fantasy, a new hope. And there's enough there to keep them interested. Mm -hmm. But the minute you show them another film, I think they're going to check out to a certain degree. Yes. Uh, and so I think that the film, the the franchise rather, sort of dismissed accessibility in favor of, um, in favor of mythology. Uh huh. And I think I would have made the same choice, but I but I do think it's a, it's a somewhat problematic choice to have made. At least a potentially problematic choice for it to have made. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to wrap my head around what I think about that. I mean, I think that on, on one hand, you might have gotten better sequels, and and that's not. I love every Star Wars movie to a certain degree. I'm not trying to shit on the films here, but I think mm-hmm. that if you made each one, like think about James Bond films, right? Like. Although there are certain James Bond films that have some connective tissue, the idea right. behind a James Bond film is you could sit down and you can watch it, and there's no, there's no homework you had to have done beforehand. And right. so because of that, there are some James Bond films that are just head and shoulders above the rest of them. Um, Each and, guy has at least one, right? Yes, exactly. And so I think that in some ways the Star Wars films could have been – more idiosyncratic could have been more auteur based could have been less slave less slavishly devoted to certain um character settings insert words here right but um i think that the following for star wars would never have grown to the level it grew to if they made that decision yeah i i agree with that too and i think just for what star wars is the myth building way would have was probably really the only way that makes sense for 
the films to go, for the stories to go. I mean, it's not like Star Trek, which is, you know, place of the week kind of play thing, right? And like, let's explore these ideas that whatever Gene Roddenberry was thinking at the time in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always been more of a love letter to just serial fiction, A. Right. And it's always been more of um, something that's so enrooted in its, uh, I guess, literary structure, for lack of a better term, right? So mm-hmm. what it's doing is it's really just borrowing heavily from classics, from the Greek classics, from fantasy classics, from whatever. And so just where it has itself set up is that's where it's heading toward that. However, because at the time they were making this movie, they were just like, we're going to make one of these and it'll maybe end up on cable. It'll maybe end up doing pretty well. Cause I think we need to also think about the time that star Wars was made, which 19 filmed in 1975, 1976, I think. Mm-hmm. I believe so. Uh, yeah. So the predominant movies out of Hollywood were gritty thrillers. So you got, Chinatown, you have Dirty Harry, you have um the one with uh Charles Bronson, um Death Wish. <laughs> Death Wish, right? Like those are getting produced by Warner Brothers and Paramount and Fox. Uh that really dire and gruesome mentality was what the seventies were getting as their big studio produced movies. And when George Lucas was like, who did his own, you know, he did um, THX first. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then he did American Graffiti, which has, it's not gritty like those movies are, but it's definitely of that kind of genre, I guess. Um, And he just was like, I have to do a complete 180 because there's literally nothing except for Disney movies, which were floundering in the 70s. They were in this weird state too, right? Uh, for kids and stuff. So I think getting with that particular goal in mind and hitting these particular texts that would go into form Star Wars, Star Wars had to have this mythos that it would, obviously the people who embrace and grab Star Wars in 1977 would need to, would want to, have explored more mm-hmm. kind of thing. And yes. I think that was the reasoning for the sequels too. I think if we had followed the other way that you had talked about too, we would have obviously had a much different star Wars. And like you talked about, we probably would have forgotten star Wars. Yeah. It probably would have gone the way of like avatar, the James <laughs> Cameron one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would have been a cultural phenomenon for 15 minutes mm-hmm. and, then, and then moved on. Um, but in a way, you know, even when Star Wars tries to do what I talked about, when it when it tries to do the sort of one-and-done stories, they're still right. so built into mythology. I mean, Solo and Rogue One technically are standalone films, but <laughs> yeah. but, they, but they really aren't. I mean, there's right. no way they can be you know, at this right. point. Um, and I wonder if there will ever be a true standalone Star Wars film. I kind Again. of... I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, supposedly the, the the both the trilogies that Ryan Johnson is hopefully still doing 
and it's still confirmed on their list. Well, but he was asked recently if it's still happening, and he said, "I hope so." Oh, I think I'm going to trust anything he says to the press now. That's probably because true. <laughs> he's also said he's like, "I'm just he's like I'm tired of talking about it." Yep. Like, uh, Dave but... Green lit it. You know, I'm sorry. Right. We're going to get sidetracked. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but also, you know the um the idea of uh the the two guys from Game of Thrones are doing their trilogy too and those are supposed to be essentially not at all tied into the original saga of of any sort right but after the first one of those trilogies they will necessarily depend on the first on 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 themselves you know it will eventually feed back on itself and even just the idea that both were announced as trilogies before they even started making them says that they can't truly be standalone films right and I don't know, I think back to, like, Knights of the Old Republic, and even that doesn't really stand on its own. You need to have (laughs) this working knowledge of Star Wars to be able to, you know, be into that game. That was just a big one. Or, yeah, that's one that was just very far in the past that I could think of. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, And I'm always fascinated with, like, I I do know somebody whose introduction to Star Wars was Knights of the Old Republic. Uh-huh. And I think that that's really fascinating because, I mean, they're about my age, so I, I would think that even if they hadn't seen Star Wars movies, there's just a certain level of cultural osmosis that we've all experienced. Correct. Even before you've seen Star Wars, you kind of know what Star Wars is. Yeah, because if you haven't seen it directly, you've seen the parody of it. Exactly. On yeah. Sesame Street or The Simpsons or... yeah whatever i I have talked Um, about this on the podcast before but actually one of the reasons that i showed my daughter the star wars films when i did was i didn't want her to be spoiled for the empire reveal and when i actually showed it to her she was like oh it's just like uh sesame street (laughs) she had seen a a sesame street parody of star wars yes and uh you know it's like that We'll never know what it was like to watch Psycho in 1960. Right, exactly. Yes. To know how shocking that movie was in 1960. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So let's do this. Let's actually let's take a break here for a second. When sure. we come back, we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about well about New Hope. So stay tuned. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach, and I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with uh, more A New Hope chat. Um, Let's talk for a second here about the way that... Hmm, How how do I want to phrase this? Uh, I want to talk about the way that the film would have worked as just a standalone. Is there anything you think that, that that is that is improved upon because it's not a standalone film? Or do you think that 
it would have been just fine if there was never a sequel. I think it would have been just fine if there was never a sequel. I mean, they obviously left the door open to them because they let Darth Vader go right. at the end. He doesn't get blown to bits. But really, at that time, we don't know what the Empire is. We were like, oh, it could totally just be the Death Star, and they totally blew that up. Right. Rebels win, hooray, you know? Um, the characters kind of all come around full arc. You have Luke going from this wander-eyed uh, little boy to kind of the hero. You have Han Solo learning not to be selfish. Mm-hmm. You have Princess Leia. Just She's just really the best yeah, all the is. way through. I don't think she really... She just... I don't think she really has an arc per se, but her presence there the whole time and what she has to deal with and how she deals with it is inspiring. I was just recently talking to someone about this, how in A New Hope, she watches everyone she's ever known essentially blow up. Mm-hmm. And then like 20 minutes later, she is uh, comforting Luke for losing an old man he's known less than a week. Right. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and doing so not begrudgingly. She seems legitimately to care about this idiot. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's great. Right. Ever the diplomat. I mean, yes. we've read a bunch of the Leia books, so yes, exactly. that's something that they've run off. Um, yeah. But like at the end, they're standing there with their medals. Thing fades to black. We cheer, you know, that could have been it. And you could have just, and for, you know, for at least three years, that was, that was Star Wars. Yeah, I, I think there might have been a novel in between there. Oh, there was. There was the Speaker of the Mind's Eye. I yeah. know that. And I know the story that they commissioned Alan Dean Foster to write that because they weren't sure how Star Wars was going to be received. And they wanted to wrap up the thing with Vader. Um, so just in case Star Wars was a flop, they had a little pulp mass market ready novel to go for i've never actually read speaker of the mind's eye but that, i bet that'll you have it's to be, that'll have to be one of our book club picks then definitely i bet yeah. you it's just wild oh i'm sure it is if i'm not mistaken it's hmm. there were there was there was a novel released right before empire and there was one released right after empire and <coughs> one of those i think it has to be film before empire has like a full on Luke Leia romance in it. Yes. Um cuz they didn't make them siblings until, <laughs> until probably they were filming Return of the Jedi, but you yeah. know it was when they figured that out. <laughs> yeah. Uh again, anything Lucas tells you about master plans is all bullshit. Um, yes. He did not know what he was doing here. Um <laughs> uh I think the I think the the one big benefit that I would say the films would have had if mm-hmm. it didn't continue is is that I actually think that there would be a greater hmm, mythology is the wrong word. Mm-hmm. There would be uh, one of my gripes with the prequels is that I have felt like my entire childhood I wanted to be a Jedi and I thought yes. Jedi's were so cool, and then the prequels completely removed that idea from you. Uh, yes, and I think if there was just a New Hope and that's it, Jedi's would have been even cooler because mm-hmm. we wouldn't have seen the limitations that the next two films put on them. I'm not saying those are bad limitations. I'm just saying that in terms of what you would 
get from the film if it was if it stood alone, you would never know the upper or lower limits of being a Jedi. Yeah. You would still have that like, oh, this is something that I want to do. It's yes. still it kind of preserves the innocence yes, of exactly. Star Wars. And maybe that's kind of what we've also been missing too and kind kind of circling around in our discussion tonight is like there is there is a certain innocence to the original Star Wars movie because it's not like beholden to everything that came before or after it. It's still just here is the information we know. Uh and Luke is going out into the world with it with just pure gung ho energy, right? Yeah. And then by the time that we get to Return of the Jedi when he's burning Vader's carcass or whatever, and you get like a bittersweet conclusion to his ending, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a far cry from what's going on in the standalone Star Wars movie. And then we get to the Luke of, like, The Last Jedi, who's just been broken and beaten, which is really consistent with how Star Wars treats all its characters. Yes, yes it is. That, uh, like, I guess I could see why people were so upset that that was where he ended. But I guess just those people have never experienced life, (laughs) you know, to to quote, they might be giants. Everybody dies frustrated and sad. And that is beautiful. (coughs) Um, (laughs) So I, uh, it's funny though. I was, as I'm reflecting on this, you know, star Wars as a one film franchise, I yes. do think that when that is when that's when that's established, Darth Vader becomes very different too. Yes, because he's just this hulking badass right. that you never really see any vulnerability with. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised if Vader was a robot. You're you're never really told in a new hope that he's not a robot. Right, he's just he's there. Well, he's really the um I guess the hound of the movie, right? Because it's Peter Cushing who's the main bad guy. Right, yeah. It's Tarkin who's the uh who's the big bad. And Vader's just kinda like, oh, okay, and holding, you know, being leashed up. Yeah. And it's amazing because in a in a lot of ways, in Empire, the Emperor is I'm sorry, in Jedi, the Emperor is the big bad. So Vader's right. only really the big bad in, in Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but you also, I mean, I think, I think Luke's story is incredibly different if it's just a one film franchise. Yeah, I mean, I, all of this is, is, yeah, is very interesting. That goes, goes back to your friend's comment about it being the most hopeful. Yes. Right. Yeah. Cause he gets his little medal at the end and you're like, oh, applause, applause, applause. Right. Yeah. I mean, even though like, you know, he's, he's. You know, we said that Leia's entire world blew up in front of her, but pretty much, you know, we meet we meet four characters that have any interaction with Luke before he gets on the Millennium Falcon, and that's Kenobi who dies, Owen uh-huh. and Beru who die, and then in the special yep. edition, Biggs who dies. <laughs> you know, so he might not have seen his literal planet blow up, but he has seen his world go away. Um. And so right. that is not a happy story, but it's certainly it doesn't have the bittersweet as much bittersweet 
overtone as many bittersweet overtones as his story eventually will have right i think there was an idea that lucas was exploring there that yes bad things happen to us but it is possible to overcome them and one family gets a gets you know i don't want to say abandoned but abandoned um and then you find a new you one find the and new that's one. how yeah, exactly. you function yeah. right and i think that is kind of where the movie ends up there and then uh just by the nature of having more stories set with these characters in that universe it's obviously going to deteriorate right right yeah i love that we were like oh yeah let's talk about star wars which is the most standalone movie and we've talked about really its relationship to the other <laughs> films in the trilogy at length yes um all right so i i do want to talk about something else here i okay. want to talk about the special edition of okay. a new hope so i had seen this film I, I had i had two vhs copies before the special edition i had the original like sold by itself star wars videotape and then i yes. had the gold standard in star wars home releases the thx remasters in the letterbox format or in the in regular letterbox format? format wow that is i'm yeah. giving like oh K-sign there, like, oh, yeah, chef <laughs> yeah. kiss. <laughs> yes, exactly. That is truly the gold standard. And, uh, you know, I still have those, actually. Uh, I don't have a working VCR at the moment, but I still have those those videos because it is the gold Which standard. Which one's the VCR again? I'm just kidding. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I'm not that much older than you, asshole. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, I, st I just literally just watched the Goofy movie the other day, and we had to hook up a VCR for it because okay, we so can't find a good copy anywhere. <laughs> well, it'll be on Disney Plus in a month. So, da -da. okay, yeah. Disney Plus, please help sponsor this podcast. Yes, please help sponsor this podcast. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be giving you a lot of coverage over the next few years. Uh, Mandalorian okay, anyway. reviews coming to Multiverse City Comics, November thirteenth. Um, <laughs> so, um, anyway, you know, uh, I had I had seen. And I had probably memorized the original version of A New Hope. Mm -hmm. And when I say original, I mean the, the VHS version. Not I know there's a couple of very slight differences, including the crawl in the original theatrical cut, but whatever. I'm talking about right. the one that 90% of the people... If, if you were to know one of the versions backwards and forwards, this is the first one you would have known. Because you, you couldn't have watched it in the theater as many times as you could watch it at home. So anyway. Correct. Uh, so when, when the special editions came out, there were a couple of things in A New Hope that were very, very different. So we're going to uh, talk about the 1997 special edition. Yes. I don't know if much has changed in the subsequent special editions. I know that he's always tweaking stuff, but I yes. don't know if there's necessarily big changes in the subsequent tweaks. I don't think there's things that are too, too big from what happened in 1997. Like Those were right. the, most, uh, the most significant ones, yeah. Yes, I was going to say egregious, but <laughs> significant is a good word too. Well, uh, egregious um, is correct, also though. I mean, so the the big the big three of a new hope for me are uh, <coughs> Greedo shooting first. Yep. Uh, Han stepping on Jabba's tail in that that Jabba the Hut scene. That that weird thing. Yes. Yes, and um, oh, there's one more, and it just it skipped my head now. Was it 1997 where they put the animals crossing in front of them and uh, Moss Eisley while they were in the middle of a conversation and you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't think so. I think that might have been one of the later ones. I uh, think that was for the first Blu-ray. Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff I don't mind. Like, better explosions? Sure, that's cool, I guess. Even though I don't think they look better, but you know, 
theoretically right. better sure. explosions. Sure. Uh, the whole thing with Biggs, I'm cool with that. Not a big deal. The sort right. of establishing shots of Mos Eisley, uh, you know, again, the CGI looks like shit now, but to try and give the world a little bit more flavor, I'm I'm not really opposed to that. It's the uh, it's it's the stuff that fundamentally changes the experience of watching Star Wars. You know, my big thing with Greedo shooting first is I I think that there's been an effort since Empire to soften the scoundrelness of Han. And I think that yes. the, the, the turn the turn at the end of A New Hope only works if he's a scoundrel to begin with. Because if he's not a scoundrel, he's an asshole. Right? right. Like if, if he chooses not to help them, but he's not the guy who shoots first to get out of a debt, then, mm-hmm. then that, that turn doesn't mean as much. Uh, and that's actually my biggest problem with the characterization of Han in Solo is I think at the end when he lets Emphis Ness off with the coaxium, that doesn't seem like the Han of a new hope to me. Um, but that's a whole other story for a different day. Um, no, I, I hear what you're saying there about that too because I definitely agree that the Han Solo character went from... Um, what was it that George Lucas calls him? He called him like a John Wayne kind of guy. I believe so, yeah. A, fuck John Wayne. <laughs> Rotten hell. Yeah. B, um... <laughs> But that's not who he is. He's freaking Yojimbo, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's Toshiro Mufune. That's that's where he's coming from, and that's who we want to. That's who we fell in love with. He's the. I can't remember the other thing that they that they took Han from, but I want to say Marlon Brando's character in something, and <laughs> it's just escaping me at the moment. But you know, and and I think that with the Jabba scene, first of all, it just looks so bad. It just looks so yeah. bad. It doesn't add anything to the film whatsoever. Well, because Greedo covers it already. Like, right. literally, that whole scene is just what Greedo said in five lines. Yes. And also, I think that there is something about Star Wars as a as a franchise where one of the things it really knows how to do is it really knows how to introduce characters, like, visually. Like, if, if when next time you watch Empire, know that every character gets an applause break after they're first shown. I noticed this when I saw the Empire new edition, a special edition in the theater 97, which is that okay. like, every character walks on screen and nobody says anything for 30 seconds because everybody yes. is given this like really nice visual introduction to the character. And I think that the way that Jabba is revealed in Return of the Jedi is masterful. It's one of the really well-done things of that film. You hear about him for two films, but you have no idea what he looks like. And then you find out he's this big fucking slug. Like, it's a really well-done reveal. To just have him show up in Mos Eisley eliminates that completely. Right. And then, you know, I was going to make a crack at Return of the Jedi, but... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I look. I, I have my problems with, with Return of the Jedi as much as anybody else does, um, but the, uh, you know, there's also like, in addition to the CGI looking like shit in that scene, the fact yes. that Han walks behind him, and not only do they have him step on his tail, which is dumb, they also do the world's worst CGI of Han stepping up onto something. It <laughs> it literally looks like Poochie going back to his home planet. Like it's just it's the worst. It's the worst editing you've ever seen. It looks so fake and so cheap, and it takes you. In my memory, it's pixelated, but I think that's me projecting. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, 
but is there anything about the special editions now that you've seen both that you particularly enjoy from a new hope from the special edition yeah oh so the special edition was the first thing i saw right right i mean i saw that in a theater there too and I don't, and so after that, we bought the VHSs, the THX ones, but they were the full frame things, the, cr- the pen and scan things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I didn't know at I 10 know. what the I difference know. was. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I had the same reaction to Star Wars again until I saw, I saw it on the despecialized edition. Okay. You know, and then. Because you got, you know, the widescreen thing the first time I remember seeing that again when I was like much older and able to process these things. That was like, oh, wow, there's half the movie. I can read the whole crawl before it gets all tiny. But it was like the despecialized editions that I'm like, oh, this this works so much better. Um, so to answer your question, I guess the, that's where I was going is no, I don't think the special editions really add anything to it. I don't think the quote unquote quote improved explosions do anything and i don't think like the x-wings flying in to the death star at the end with like a much smoother animation works as well for it because i think that everything that they made there was part of that movie yes so i think like that what 1995 1996 versions of uh star wars the phx remasters before the special editions where all they did was like clean up the little glowy thing under the uh under the uh, speeders and kind of yep. smoothed out the mats against the stars mm-hmm. during like the dogfight battles. I think that was that was great and that really helped immerse you more into the movie. But last time I watched the special edition of uh, Episode Four, I just everything seemed distracting to me that they added. Like the animation for the animals was worse. The it was, and it's not even like 1997 bad CG because they obviously put a lot of money into it. It's 1997 CG uh, animation pushed against 1977 visual effects matting and painting and realistic sets. Right, just, right. So, yeah, no. If I never see the special edition of Star Wars again, I won't be sad. Have you seen the Star Wars Revisited? Star Wars Revisited. So this is something that the aforementioned Greg Matasevich. No, that was off air. We talked about Greg Matasevich, but our friend Greg Matasevich turned me on to. Uh, uh-huh. There are these guys who have been dedicating. So, but Lucas many years ago had said that as long as you don't sell it, you can fuck with Star Wars. Like he will okay. let people do fan edits and that. He's not mad mm-hmm. at that. And so these folks have been making. These films called Star Wars Revisited, and their slogan is what the special editions should have been. And so what they did was they cleaned up so much of the film in terms of just dark spots and um, just they did some color correction. They okay. they smoothed out a lot of the special edition stuff and took out all the egregious stuff. And basically, Is this like what what led to the despecialized editions? Well, so when you say that, do you mean yeah. the ones on the Blu-ray that Greg has? N- oh, huh? wait, you mean like so the despecialized editions? I think, um, yeah, they must be the ones from the Blu-ray. I know that they 
took kind of the copy, the rough copy of what you have on VHS. Uh-huh, yeah. And then did everything that you're telling me so with it, the Star it, Wars Revisited guys. We're probably talking about the same thing. Okay. Or at least a very similar version of the same thing. Yeah. But so Greg Matasevich sent me Blu-ray. Like he burned Blu-rays of both this and The Empire Revisited. And they haven't yes. finished Jedi Revisited yet, but they're working on it. Um, okay, so it must be something different because I do have Jedi. Oh, okay. Um, and so this is, to me, like the the absolute... This is the gold standard of Star Wars now. Um, right. And, like, for instance, when you're looking at the A New Hope facts here... Oh, I'll just read some of them to you. Um, they removed the Industrial Light and Magic crew member from the droid sale. They removed the wire and batteries seen up Luke's sleeve in Ben's hut. They removed the remaining wires from Ben's sleeve during the saber fight. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just all the stuff like that. It's just... it's. It's really they did so many things. They slowed down the logo a little bit in the beginning of the crawl, so it matches the speed of the rest of the crawl. Like, <laughs> you know, they they really they gave Chewie a medal at the end of A New Hope. You know, like they <laughs> they just did all the stuff that I would have done if I if I had the time and talent to do so. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, to me, that is the way to watch the, this film now. Um, and I kind of don't care. I I have been talking about how dumb it is that Disney isn't selling the original editions. Yeah. But at this point, I don't even care because I have these. I mean, I care yeah, I have, I don't... in the grand sense. Like, I want people to be able to see it. Right. No, I agree with you. I don't I don't know what Disney's planning to do with it because obviously that's one of the biggest demands that people have had. Right? Yeah. And I think this goes to the biggest problem with the special edition to me and it's completely extra textual is that we don't have the original to go back to so take when spielberg did his special thing with et right uh-huh. uh when they released it one disc had et the special edition the other disc had et the 1982 edition right like yeah. untouched right or just like maybe remastered and remixed for however we were watching it at the time i think whatever the dvd was, was in 2000 yeah. yeah and then i know they did that and then Subsequently, they've also just ignored the ET special edition. But regardless, they're both there, so you can choose which one you know you want to go through. So if you want to have this weird experiment that he did, where you have the ET special edition, but the other one exists. Right. Same with Lord of the Rings. Right. We have the theatrical cuts readily available, and just as easily as we have the extended cuts readily available. Right often on the same set, you know, it's, it's not burying the other. And I feel like by burying 1977 star Wars with 1997 star Wars special edition is really the big, like punch in the throat kind of thing for what it is. Yeah. I mean, and part of that is, Part of that is that, you know, the, again, this is part of a book that you and I are going to be reading for the book club next year. But I believe yeah. that when when Lucas got divorced, his wife, his ex-wife got a certain percentage of anything to do with the original Star Wars. Yeah. And so the special edition was in part a way to fuck her out of money. Kind um, of like the reason that Disney's doing live action movies now of their cartoons. Exactly. 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but now that Lucasfilm has been sold, I can't imagine that agreement still stands between Lucas and his wife. That one's complicated because, well, now that Disney owns Fox, that changes a lot too. But 20th Century Fox, even when before their merger, that stupid, stupid merger, um, they still own Star Wars outright. That was the only one that Lucas really didn't own. Right. Um, he managed to sneak in kind of late and be like, oh, yeah, I don't think this is going to do well or whatever. And he bought the sequel rights and the merchandising rights from Fox. And only like one executive, if memory serves me correctly, was like, yeah, I have any faith in this movie. So the rest were all just like, yeah, okay, I don't see anything going through this. Because literally, Empire, Jedi, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and uh, Revenge of the Sith are technically independent movies. Yes. (laughs) All funded by the toy sales and the box office from the previous ones, and then the rides and junk, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. I That weird state also might be another reason we don't see the original cuts in a way that we want to right um so the last thing that i have to talk about this doesn't mean this is the last thing we talk about but the sort of last thing i want to talk about is one of the critiques of the first prequel and the first sequel was that it was essentially remaking a new hope how much of that do you think is legitimate versus how much of that do you think it's just this is a very standard hero's journey story and so everything's going to look like a remake of this sort of of the sort of like bare bones plot of right. Star Wars also just one that works and we know it works um, so I'm going to give George Lucas some credit here on this one because I do believe that for as much as he pulled the stuff that we got in the original trilogy out of his ass, he did have a bigger plan for the sequels or yes. the prequels. I mean, yes. Um, so I think he's talked a lot about the story structure of the ring theory. It all where, rhymes. Um, yeah, everything rhymes. It's like one big circle, and it all kind of follows through. So, Phantom Menace, which is my least favorite Star Wars movie, I really, really dislike that movie. Um it needs to echo a lot of what star Wars is doing to be able to kind of play to that theme. And I think for Phantom Menace, the echo it's, it's the echo. So we do have like, um, once we get to Tatooine and stuff, right. We have basically the same, uh, journey that Luke goes on for Anakin. And then he blows up the Federation ship or whatever it was. Uh, but that does play against what we see with Luke Skywalker. Now for force awakens, I feel like that was just kind of a conservative storytelling decision in that they were bringing something back after 10, 15 years since we got, you know, revenge of the Sith Mm -hmm. and they knew people love star Wars, but they didn't know like where it was still in the cultural conversation. And so they didn't want to push too much from it. So, yeah, I think The Force Awakens plays it too safely there, to answer your question. Um, And it does kind of behold itself to the structure and uh, setup of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. 
But I also think that when he set out to write it, he had the intention of making Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, something that was akin to Star Wars to remind us enough about it, to show us kind of where um, Luke could have gone wrong and if he had that like hand dealt to him, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, that's, I think that's how I would treat those two. See, I, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think what you said is, is pretty much spot on. I oh, think... except that what? Phantom Menace was really poorly executed and that was its problem. <laughs> yes. Uh, although I, I will always maintain that Phantom Menace is twice the film attack of the clones is, but that's something mm. we're never going to agree on. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> um, you know, but that, that and that's okay. Um, yes. But uh, I, I think that with, with The Phantom Menace, the flaws of The Phantom Menace are not in its structure. Yes. The flaws of The Phantom Menace are in The Phantom Menace. Are in the, the, <laughs> the, the meat of the film is just not very good in a lot of parts. Right. Uh, there's probably a half hour's worth of a decent film in a two-hour-plus movie there. Um <clears throat> A lot of missed opportunity in that movie. Oh, for so many reasons, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was actually talking with, I think it was Zach Wilkerson recently, and we were saying how in, in a lot of ways, all you need is Revenge of the Sith from the prequels. That you definitely don't need The Phantom Menace, because nothing really happens in that movie. No. And even nothing in Attack, at all. Even in Attack of the Clones, a lot of that movie is spent waiting for stuff to happen. But mm-hmm. the stuff that really matters kind of happens in Revenge of the Sith. Yes. Um, anyway, so I don't think that the structure is a problem with with Phantom Menace. I also think that for The Force Awakens, it was tr- – how can I say this? With, with the it was pre- a Disney movie, so it <laughs> – Yes, that is, that is part of it too. But the prequels were trying to fill in gaps from what we already knew. Yes. The sequels were trying to give us new things to care about, new characters, new settings, etc. And I think yes. that when you're setting up not a new film, but a new franchise, the the beats of a hero's journey make the most sense to set up with that. Yes. And I think just to get off book a little bit, I think you see I see. I like the Force Awakens. I have a good time with it, right? Me too. And you can see kind of how having that mirror of the two works from hands that are a little more capable of making it work, right? Yes. So Force Awakens, yeah, it's really, really, really close to Star Wars, but its new characters are very likable, and it's it moves very, very well, and it's a lot of fun. And I will argue that. It, it pulls something off that I was not really aware of until the second or third time I watched it, mm-hmm. which is that it's kind of dual heroes journeying stories where, yeah. where both Finn and Ray are going through the stuff that Luke goes through in a new hope. Yeah. And that is significant. I think yes. in the difference in the films, um, I made a crack at Disney, but they also released, you know, the last Jedi. Which... Yes. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Um, which I'll argue, many feel took the wrong lessons from the Force Awakens. Like you had said, the Force Awakens didn't want to go too far off course. Some will uh-huh. say the Last Jedi went too far off course. I'm not one of those people, but people do say that. 
I don't even think I know that I'm not your last Jedi person here, but I don't think it like the choices it made there were so radical and burned down the thing. They were just kind of like, yeah, you know, this time has changed. These people have changed and we need to honor that. Not only that, anyone who's mad about Luke doesn't realize the only time that Luke has won, the only time Luke has won the big picture battle is when he chooses not to fight. Yes. And so this is just a continuation of that. This is his, his, I don't think it's any surprise that Return of the Jedi and The Last Jedi both end with Luke not not raising his lightsaber. Yes. But that's a, whole, that's a conversation for a whole other day. Um, right. Yeah, no, just, no, I'm a big Jedi fan too. Um, me too. Uh, but so, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a problem that these two films are similar to... To a new hope, the original, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's a problem at all, and I think that for both of them, they were risky gambits, and so you mm-hmm. have to be a little bit more conservative with what you're going to do, right, uh, right. And, so. th- and like we talked about too, I think that George Lucas had this intention of making this this thing that would really just be the mirror image. Like, I don't know if you've ever played Legend of Zelda but it's the yes. best um, <laughs> when you go into like the dark world or whatever, and then you meet dark link um, kind of having that idea of like, Oh, Luke, this is what could have happened to you if you had made a lot of really terrible choices. Right. But again, the filmmaker he was in 1999 to 2004 was not the filmmaker he was in 1997. Right. <laughs> um, but again, like that's the beauty of the original star Wars is it's not all that you can completely leave that on the floor and just enjoy that movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. So real quickly, this is your favorite Star Wars film, correct? This is my favorite Star Wars film, yes. Real quickly, run down your rankings for everybody. Okay, number one, Star Wars, 1977. So number two and three change based kind of on my mood. Uh, Sometimes number two is Empire Strikes Back. Sometimes number two is The Last Jedi. Um, and then, you know, number three is the one that it's not. Right. Number four is probably Force Awakens. Five would be Revenge of the Sith. Six is um, Jedi. Seven is Clones. And then the eighth, the bottom one is uh, Phantom Menace. You forgot Solo and Rogue One. Oh, well, I, those are their own things. So they kind of exist okay. in their own little peripheral. They're moons. They're Star Wars movies. Okay, the moons of okay. Star Wars. I like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I like that a lot. Actually, that's good. Um, my my order is is very similar to yours, except I think I would still put Jedi over Sith. Maybe. Okay. But but the, that. I think the best parts of Jedi and the best parts of Sith are very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of, of of quality, but I also think that the worst parts of Jedi are not quite as bad as the worst parts of Sith. I see. What you, yeah. Um, I just think Sith works better as a whole movie. Well, it's than kind of like Jedi three does. movies. <laughs> it's, yeah, there's it a lot in there. Jedi just makes weird choices. Yeah, I, I think Jedi has a couple of sublime sequences. Mixed with a lot yes. of nonsense. Yes, and we're not even talking. I'm not even talking about just 
the presence of the Ewoks. Right, yeah. And just like the hour that we spent on Tatooine again for nothing. See, I, I love I love the first hour of Jedi. Right, but it's not what we needed for a conclusion. Of course not. Oh, no, no, of course not. <laughs> no, God, no. Um, yeah. yeah. And then again, I, I will still maintain that Attack of the Clones is worse than Phantom Menace. But again, we're never going <laughs> to agree on that, and that's okay. Uh, I think there's other podcasts where we just argue about that. Yes, probably. <laughs> um, so, Matt, uh, give us like one little thing that you want to see out of the last of the Skywalker saga of the, of the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> one little thing I want to see or one thing that like, I hope they don't do. I want, I want one, one thing that you want to see. Okay. I would like to see. I guess that same. Man, that's a that's a big question now that I think about it because I'm like I want to see lightsaber battles and I want to see X-wing fights, you know, and we know that those are coming and those are inherent to Star Wars. I think I just want to see it have a level of confidence and follow through that the best of the Star Wars movies have had so far. I think that's a very fair hope. Right. It might be hope. even a new one. I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> um, I'm going to bet because it's only a couple of days old. And also, I don't know what your listening habits are. I don't think you've heard my, my new theory about the Rise of Skywalker that, mm, that I one? said on last week's Force Ghost, which is that I, um, I, you've seen these things called Sith Troopers. Yeah. I think they're all Ray clones. Oh, that's where you think they're going. See, yes. I think that the Emperor is just going to kind of be like Yoda's sequence in The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Where he shows up because they have to go to the remains of the Death Star right. 2 for yeah. reasons. For um, reasons, of course, yes. <laughs> and then he's like tempting her and bringing her down. And I'm sure that like Kylo Ren's there too so that he can see it. Because I think they'll probably redeem him. They won't. They don't seem gutsy enough to let him just die. Right, yeah. Um, but But I do think he will die. No, I think he will die, but I think he will die Vader style, yes. which is more redeemed than uh, Emperor style, which is cackling in a fit of lightning. Right, exactly. Yes, no, but <laughs> but I I don't even mean that like dark ray sequence. I think you're right. I think that's basically mm-hmm. like the cave in Empire, right? Uh, right. Whatever. But I, I think that the re- one of the reasons why they're called Sith troopers is that they basically cloned Ray and turned her evil. Like instead of okay. instead of her becoming a Jedi, she became a Sith, and they have an army of Rays fighting with them. Right. That's just an idea I have. We'll see. It's probably wrong, but I I like half the fun of Star Wars is speculation. I remember. Also, remember this is a J.J. Abrams movie now. Yes. <laughs> and someone pointed out to me that J.J. Abrams, the only thing he's ever finished, has been Felicity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because lost, he had already stepped away. Yeah. Yeah other things have just gotten canceled out right like the oh shoot what was the one that he did it had um it was like a haunted house one i can't remember the name of it right now but so you know <laughs> uh i i guess you know he didn't even finish his own star trek trilogy correct so. star trek was the other one he left out yeah 
So yeah. <sighs> so I want to see. I want to see an ending. That's what I would love. Actually, now that I think about it, I want to see a definitive conclusion to this thing that we can just move on from, and that yes, we can get other Star Wars things, but we're not beholden to this like what is it a uh, ninety year era right. from when, yeah. right? That would be that would be amazing just to have it be this is the end. I, be, the only reason I don't wholeheartedly agree with that is I, I want to see more Ray Poe and Finn stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I hope that this is the end of the Skywalkers for sure. Well, you know, if they don't back off on it and make Ray somebody who's still connected to something, then um, it can totally, <laughs> we can still totally have that. Right. Yes. Agreed. Oh, and that goes up to another point. I know that we're wrapping down, <laughs> but uh, nobody's beholden to anything in the original Star Wars movie, right? Like, we know that Luke's father was a Jedi who fought with Obi-Wan, but there is no, like, oh, midichlorian. <laughs> right. That this is your destiny kind of thing. It's just, hey, here's your history. Do with it what you will. One of the things that Abrams had said when this was announced that he was doing episode nine was that mm-hmm. he really wanted to connect the sequel trilogy to the prequel trilogy. Okay. And that actually excites me as an idea because uh-huh. I think that the bad parts of the, of the prequels are pretty much universally agreed upon. Hayden so Christensen. I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always say George Lucas is the bigger problem than Hayden Christensen is. Um, cause I've seen yes. him be good in other things. Uh, but, you know, I, I could see – I think that if Abrams learns from the mistakes of the sequel trilogy – the prequel trilogy, rather, he yeah. can connect the really good parts of the prequels to this film. And, you know, uh, I, I do think it's important that the ninth film somewhat ties it all together. Right. I mean, that's what it's trying to set up to do. Yeah. You know, I was complaining earlier this year when um I saw the – on time of Endgame, uh-huh. and you know I'm not a big Marvel Cinematic Universe fan, and so I was just like, ugh, and we dragged our feet for the longest time on going to see it, because I'm like, it's three hours long. Jordan's like, didn't you just watch the Lord of the Rings movies? And I'm like, yeah, but those are good. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, this is three hours. But then we were talking about it, I'm like, if they tell me that Rise of the Skywalker is going to be 207 minutes, I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm down for it. Let's oh, see. I- <laughs> give me 300 i don't care I don't... yeah right <laughs> give me two intermissions i'm cool with it it's fine <laughs> exactly I actually, I actually would love there to be an intermission have you ever had the pleasure of seeing 2001 in the theater i didn't i missed it when it was here but i did see west side story which had an intermission oh okay an intermission in a film is a lovely thing oh my god oh my god do you know when <laughs> the intermission falls in 2001 uh no which part it is as soon as he is locked out of the ship, that door closes, intermission hits. I think you're right, because it's on one of my old DVD prints of that movie. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's it's wonderful. It's the perfect place to have an intermission. It's great. Hashtag, if you guys are going to keep making these three-hour-plus movies, please bring back intermissions. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, plus, theaters will love it, because people will buy more stuff during the intermission. Right? Right. <laughs> Everybody wins. Exactly. We're definitely on board here. Yes. Bring that back. <laughs> when I saw Endgame, I was reviewing it for the site, but mm-hmm. it was it was it came out on like a very very stressful day in my personal life. And I remember this cuz I think I was still editing. 
I think you were, yes. Uh, and, and so I was, I was having like, I don't want to say heart palpitations. That's overselling it, but I just felt like shit, both emotionally and physically, and it made me have to piss every five minutes, essentially. <laughs> so I got up like maybe four times during the movie. And I, I am not, I am the, I will hold it for an entire movie. I have no problem doing that. But just like right. the combination of my, of my physical and emotional self just made me pee all the time. And I just kept thinking like, just it's three hours. Give us an intermission. Give us as if I knew, if if I'm sitting there, okay, I'm twenty minutes in, but I know in another hour there's an intermission. Right. I I could have stuck it out. Right. But, yeah. Like. Yeah. How I saw Lawrence of Arabia, you know, like, yeah, exactly. oh, we're near it. Okay, thank God. Yeah. Um, this has been Brian shares entirely too much about his physical body. Um, <laughs> a popular new spinoff of uh, of of our podcast. So yes, um, it's uh, part of the Brian is a dad thing and just can only <laughs> have his moments when he can get them. Damn it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Matt, where can folks find you on the internet if they want to harass you about your wrong Attack of the Clones opinion? Oh, um, I think I'm still on Twitter at MattSG. <laughs> you do tweet every now and then. I do tweet every now and then. Um, I lurk more than anything. Uh, and I'm on Reddit as at MattSG, but I also just kind of lurk there too. So Twitter would probably be the best because when I do write something, I tend to post it there or the site reminds me that I posted it. <laughs> that is true also. Um, you can find me at Brian is an app. You can find this show at Force Ghost C2C. Email us, forceghostc2c at gmail.com. We'll be back in, uh, I guess, by the time you're hearing this, you will have already heard our instant reaction to the new trailer, which comes out Monday. We're recording oh, this shit. on Thursday. Oh, shit. Trailer drops Monday. Oh, uh, shit, yeah. So you'll have already heard that. So you'll, you'll hear us back in a couple of weeks with, uh, I think, with our Mandalorian review. That'll be the next thing. The first episode cool. of the Mandalorian review. So that'll be fun. Um, and remember, the Force will be with you always.